Good morning to you. It is good to be at Hardy Street Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi this morning. And let me say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers who are here. And it's good to be here with you on Father's Day to share with you about your ministry, what, you, what God is accomplishing through you at your Baptist Children's Village. I want you to know anytime you hear me talk about the Baptist Children's Village, you're going to hear me talk about your ministry. I want you to understand that I understand that this ministry does not belong to me. God has given me a ministry at your Baptist Children's Village, but the Baptist Children's Village belongs to the Baptist churches in the state of Mississippi. I tell everybody everywhere I go, the Baptist Children's Village is an evangelical arm of every Baptist church in this state. We are a part of you. When we see lives changed uh, in our homes and in the cottages that you provide, you need to understand you are a part of changing those lives. You are a part of bringing Christ and bearing the gospel on some pretty horrible, horrible situations and circumstances. I'm pleased to be your executive director. I am the 11th executive director of your Baptist Children's Village. Uh, I hold the distinction for being the only child from the Baptist Children's Village who has, is now serving as its executive director. I want you to know that I grew up at your Baptist Children's Village. Me and my three brothers and my one sister, there were five Milner children that went through your Baptist Children's Village. I hold the record for living at your Baptist Children's Village longer than any other child in its history. I went when I was five years old and I left 18 years later when I graduated from Mississippi College. Now I have to tell you something about that statistic because I have a brother just older than me who is a very large man and he would want you to know why I hold the record over him. If you take five years old and add 18 years to it and are graduating from college, what you're going to find is you got too, too many years in there. That math only works if you flunk the third and the seventh grade. My brother wants you to know that I flunked the third and the seventh grade. And so I want you to know that. Why do I tell you that? Because church, I'll bet there are some people in here who may have some failures in your life. I want you to know about my failures because I want to introduce you to the one who has the habit of taking failure, no matter what the circumstance, and making it something beautiful. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, from my testimony, from what's going on at your Baptist Children's Village. I want you to know that. I want you to know, and I'll start in Jeremiah 29, 11. Your Baptist Children's Village, the house parents there, and we'll speak more of them, they share Christ, they teach us the Bible. It did not come as a shock to any of the house parents that I had that when I graduated from college and went to work for an insurance company, I later went to law school, and for the past 23 years, I've been a litigator around the state of Mississippi. Didn't surprise a single house parent because of the arguments that I would always come up with. And one of them would start right here in this Jeremiah thing. I want to read it with you. Read it with me, Jeremiah 29:11. A wonderful promise from God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Church, I want you to know this caused me a significant problem. Because the truth was, wait a minute. If God has a plan for my life, if he's directing my path, I didn't want any part of it. Because from where I was sitting, things didn't look like they were going well. From where I was sitting... God, 
I don't think you know what you're doing. The truth is, God, I'm not sure you exist at all. Because where I come from, I had a father who was a habitual criminal. He would uh, go to prison in one state, and when he'd get out, he'd move his family just to the next state over. That's why my oldest brother was born in Pensacola, Florida. My youngest brother was born in Sacramento, California. When my youngest brother was five days old, I was, I was about three at the time, my father took us to a uh, park in Sacramento, California. And he told my mom with her five children, the youngest one being five days old, he told her, wait here, I'm going to go get some lunch. And he never came back. He didn't tell her that he had checked her out of the hotel. He didn't tell her that she didn't have any money, any food, any shelter, anywhere to go. My mother had to beg to get money, train fare, to get her little family back to Claiborne County, Mississippi, where she was from. And we lived in Claiborne County down in Port Gibson, Mississippi, until I was five years old. And I want you to know, because of churches like this one, and people like you around the state of Mississippi, I had a relationship with my mother until I was a sophomore in college when alcoholism finally took her liver and took her life. But I had a wonderful relationship with her because of people like you. But that day down in Claiborne County, Mississippi in Port Gibson, life got to be too big for my mom. The troubles were too much and she saw no hope. I remember standing in the den when we heard the gunshot and me and my older brothers and sisters going to the back porch and we pulled her back into the house. I can remember leaning her back up against the cabinet and with the blood coming out. Why do I tell you this story? Is it for the drama? No. You serve children and families all throughout this state, all over the place, with stories like this one and the stories that will make this one pale in comparison. I remember my oldest brother running two miles to the nearest house that had a telephone to get help. My question is, where was God? Where was God? Does he really exist? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, certainly he would know what's going on. He has the power to prevent it, and if he's loving, he would want to. But yet, this is going on. One of my dearest friends in the entire world I grew up with at your Baptist Children's Village, his name is David. David, if you received the Mother's Day offering information from the Baptist Children's Village, David's family is the one that's featured in that information. David came to the Baptist Children's Village when he was five years old. And we grew up in the same cottage, and we were very, very close. At the children's village, we had uh, a saying that happened about spring of every year when school starts to let out, and that was home for good. This summer, I'm going home for good. That, to us, meant, hey, we're going to have our parents. They're going to reconcile, and everything's going to be good, and we're going to get to live like the other kids. David went home for good when he was eight years old. His home for good only lasted until he was 13 years old when the state of Mississippi had to go into his home on the coast and remove him for his own safety. David had been in the streets. David had been into things that he shouldn't have been into. And he's sitting in a social worker's office. And the social worker said, well, son, tell me who your grandparents are. Well, I don't have any grandparents. Well, tell me who your aunts and uncles are. I don't have any aunts and uncles. Well, where's your father? I, I don't know where my father is. You've got to have somebody. No, ma'am. I don't have anybody. Where's God in all of this? If he is truly powerful and all-loving, does he really exist at all? We had another thing at the Baptist Children's Village growing up. I want you to know, 
I'm asked all the time, what was it like? And I want you to know this. I would not trade my childhood with anybody. Growing up at your Baptist Children's Village was the absolute funnest thing in the world. One of the things that we did is we had our own sports teams, and we would travel to the different churches, and we were in church league ball, and we had a cheer whenever we would travel anywhere, and that cheer was, we are the orphans, the mighty, mighty orphans. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them, we are the orphans, the mighty, mighty orphans. I actually became a cheerleader when I was in college. Not a lot of people know that. I don't tell a lot of people that. But I got to thinking about it, and the house parents on the bus and the bus driver, every time we would pull in and people would hear us screaming this from the bus, they would all go, pretty much what you're doing right now, which is, oh, please stop doing that. Please stop doing that. Which, of course, would make us cheer it even louder. We are the orphans, the mighty, mighty orphans. But I got to thinking about it one day, and I thought, you know, I'm not an orphan. I've got a daddy. He's a criminal. I don't know where he is, but I've got a daddy. Yeah, my mom's an alcoholic, but I've got a mother. I'm not an orphan. But if you look in God's word and you understand what that word actually meant to God, if you would join me in Psalm 68, 1 through 5. And this was a verse that after I became a believer, I started holding on to. Here, David is extolling the strength of God, the power of God, the God that everybody fears, the God that nobody can stand against. This is the God. And I'm just going to jump down to verse 5. Because after saying all of this about God and who he is and how he is feared and nobody can stand against him, this is the way David describes God. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows and is God in his holy habitation. Father of the fatherless. You know, that word in the Hebrew is yathom. That word does not mean both parents have passed away. What that word in the Old Testament literally means is that this child has no guide. This guy, this child has no protector. This child has no teacher. This child has nobody that stands in the gap for him. Think about the Jewish culture. It was the father that spoke for the clan. It was the father that provided the protection. It was the father that provided the very identity to his sons and to his daughters. That's what this word means, yathom. In the New Testament, the word is orphanos. And that's where we get our word orphan. It does not refer to any child whose both parents have passed away. The word literally means uncomforted and untended. All of a sudden, that starts to sound like me and my brothers and sisters at the Baptist Children's Village. And on Father's Day, I think of this on behalf of the fathers. I didn't have a father there. I knew it was wrong. But for the dads, and when I was a dad, I had to decide, wait a minute. Am I present in my own home? Am I providing an identity? Am I providing a leadership? Am I providing a guide to the children who are actually in my home? Or am I an absent father? But God is the father of the fatherless. And that gave us great comfort, gave me great comfort. You can imagine, though, these fatherless scholars tell us that the fatherless in the Bible, you know, their, their fathers had run and pursued other gods. Their fathers had been killed in battle. Their fathers were gone uh, marrying into other tribes and leaving them, abandoning them. 
And you wonder what those kids act like. No guide, no teacher, nobody to speak on their behalf, nobody to provide for them, nobody to protect them. Think about that, and you can start seeing why some of us, we called ourselves village kids. Some of us acted the way we did. Some of us lashed out the way we did. In the Old Testament, that word yathom is used 42 times. 16 times it's used, it involves God's instructions on how to treat orphans. Four times, God says what he'll do if you mistreat orphans. Nine times, he uses it to describe what poor treatment is like. So, David and I, my friend David and I, and my brothers and sisters grew up, we were in that same boat. Our father had chased other gods. Our father had chased his own passions, neglected his job, left us and abandoned us, left us with no protector and no identity. But you know, mine and David's story doesn't end on the kitchen floor in Port Gibson, Mississippi, or in that social worker's office. More important than that, it doesn't begin there. Our story actually begins 73 years before we were even born. On March the 12th of 2017, I want you to know that we celebrated at your Baptist Children's Village 120 years of caring for children and families in the state of Mississippi. In 1893, God came to the Baptist in the state of Mississippi, 73 years before I was born, and he said, I want you to create a home where you can introduce children to me. It was a pastor, the uh, Reverend L.S. Foster from Senatobia, Mississippi. He wrote in the Baptist record, championing the cause for the orphanage, if this thought is of God, he will put it into the heart of some person to send a contribution for this cause. In December of that same year, a Baptist lady from Senatobia, Mississippi, she wrote back, and she said, with my prayers, I enclose this dollar for the institution. If it finds company enough to affect a movement, you will hear from me again. I want you to know that in 1897, on May the 12th of 1897, church, you received your first child at the Baptist Children's Village in 1897. I want to put that into historical context for you. Senatobia, Mississippi did not receive its first phone system until 1898, a year after we took our child. That means that you created this ministry without a phone, a fax, iCloud, iDrop, Twitter, Facebook, or any of those other things that sometimes we think we have to have. All you had was a call from God, a submissive heart, and a willingness to work. I emphasize that this is your ministry because you provide this ministry. God called you to do this ministry, and that becomes very important. I'm asked all the time as I go around the state and I, and I talk with preachers and I talk with AMDs and I talk to them, and every once in a while I'll get posed this question. They'll say, Sing, we have X ministry right here in our backyard. We've got this ministry, and a lot of people are interested in this ministry, but we want to support the Baptist Children's Village. What, how do we respond to that? And I tell you exactly what I told them. <laughs> it's not for me to tell a church who they support and don't support. I'm not here to do that. But I will tell you this. You started the Baptist Children's Village. I did not. I did not create the Baptist Children's Village and then come and ask you to support it. No, you started it. You supported it. I work here. And when we go into the homes of families and children and we tell them, hey, we can help you, it's because of our confidence that you're going to be there. That's the only answer that I have for that. Yes, there are great ministries out there. There are wonderful ministries out there deserving of our support. 
if we can keep it from being an either or thing. I need you to do what we do. What do you do? This has been amazing as I've gone around, and this is our fault. This is not the church's fault, but a lot of times people don't know what we do. So I want you to know what we do. When I practice law, uh, one of the things, I represented many businesses, and I would look at business models and what would go on. This is your business model. You go out and you seek out devastation. You jump in the middle of it. You take those burdens on yourself, and then you tell the people that you're working with, like my mother the Baptist had this we want with the love of Christ to help and we're not going to take money it's not going to cost you anything now if you were to look at our budget we do have a parental support line item for parents to pay but I want you to know I've been here 16 months now and I've never seen anything over $50 a month and we don't attempt to collect that. That is simply an effort to keep the parent involved so we can keep reunifying them and when people have an obligation, they tend to be more involved. So yes, I don't feel bad at all about saying you do that with no expectation of pay from that person. That's not a business model that works outside the economy of God. That works only in the economy of God. As a matter of fact, after I became the executive director and I started looking at the budget and I was looking at everything, I told my wife, uh, my wife is here with us, Elizabeth. I hope y'all get to meet her. She's wonderful. Grew up on the mission field in Africa. My family says it's a good thing seeing because everybody on this continent already knew too much about you. <laughs> you had to go somewhere else. So with God's grace. But anyway, I, I went to her and I said, sweetheart, this isn't going to work. Do you realize that we get all of our money from churches and people and it comes in at $25, $10, $100, $5? This isn't going to work. Elizabeth said, well, you better pray about that thing. So I did. You know what God told me? He said, Saint, I've been doing 120 years without you. Why don't you just do what I tell you to do? And I said, yes, Lord. It's an, it works in the economy of God that you seek out devastation. You know, I had a conversation with my mother many times before she died, and I know for a fact my mother was a believer. She could not get away from the alcohol, and it took her life, but I know she was a believer. And I've thought many times, hey, wait a minute, what was the purpose of everything going on? Satan knew he could not get my mom. But to him, I'll bet those five kids look like low-hanging fruit. I wonder what it looks like in his camp when you show up and start introducing Christ in a horrible, horrible situation. After I became the executive director, I wanted to know how many children had gone through the doors of the Baptist Children's Village. And when you're the executive director, you can tell somebody to go do that, and they have to go do it. And they kept good records. And you know, I want you to know in the 120 years, 8,000, and that's a conservative number because I did not want to get accused of ministerial math. I want to know a conservative number. 8,000 children in 120 years have gone through the doors of the Baptist Children's Village. If that doesn't sound like a lot, I want you to think about it this way. That's 67 new children and their families every year for 120 years. 67. If that doesn't sound like a lot, I want you to think about the reality that all of those children were going to grow up and they were going to have children and they were going to have grandchildren 
but because they went through your door, now you have village kids who've gone through your ministry who are preaching in pulpits today, who are on the mission field today, who are Christian businessmen, Christian businesswomen, nurses, and uh, a pharmacist that I grew up with, and they're involved in church. Multiply that times 8,000. In the Milner family, we have 16 grandchildren in my family. Not one of them is mine. This causes a real problem for me when we all get together. My older brother just sent me, he just, he just had his first grandchild. It's a beautiful little girl. She's, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful, and she's sweet. But he sends me pictures of this kid, and he's rubbing it in my face. Because my kids are too busy running around the globe. We don't have any grandchildren. But we have 16 in the Milner family. Multiply that times 8,000. Church, do you see how God, through you, starts multiplying in what math looks like to God? I want you to know you've done it for 120 years. And the money with the Baptist Children's Village, all of the money that supports every one of our ministries comes from you, the Mississippi Baptist Convention, and churches, Mississippi Baptist churches. We receive no money from the federal government, and we receive no money from the state. I want you to know this. People ask me all the time, well, Sing, y'all take children from the state of Mississippi, don't you? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We are licensed by the state of Mississippi. That is a voluntary license, and let me explain that. We don't have to be licensed by the state of Mississippi. We don't have to be. We do it voluntarily. We want to be. Well, why, Sing? Don't you have to more paperwork, more problems, more of this, more of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we spend more time counting pats of butter than we do changing diapers because of our license. Well, why do y'all put up with it? Why do you do it? I have told the head of the Child Protective Services, and I tell everybody that asks me that question the same thing. We're licensed by the state of Mississippi for one reason and one reason only. The state takes children into their custody that need to hear the gospel message of Christ. I have no confidence in any other agency or the state to do it. That's why we take them. Well, when you take the child, a board payment comes with that child, doesn't it? Do y'all take that money? No, we don't. We will take the child, but we don't take the money. Well, why not? Wouldn't it be easier? Oh, yeah. It would be a whole lot easier. Coming from somebody who opens the mail every day and looks at everything that comes through, it would help a lot. But there's two reasons we don't take the money from the state or the federal government. One, God didn't tell the state to take care of the children. He told us to. Number two, we will never subordinate the gospel message of Christ to any government entity for a dollar. Hear me, church. If all we do is educate children, clothe children, put them in a safe home, if that's all we do, hear me, I wasted your money and we delayed the inevitable. The reason we provide a safe home, the reason we provide food, the reason we provide an education is because a child cannot hear the gospel of Christ if he's hungry. He cannot see the love of Christ if he's afraid. We do all of that for the main goal of sharing Christ. I practiced law for 23 years, had, a, had, a, had my own law firm. I was very successful. God blessed my firm. Understand this. It wasn't education or money that changed my life. It was the gospel message of Christ. Here and for the hereafter. That's what you do. That's what we do. Where are you? You're seven campuses around the state of Mississippi, up in Independence, Mississippi, Water Valley, Mississippi. Anybody know where Nanawaya, Mississippi is? I don't. Been there three times. Every time they have to come get me and drive me in because I get lost. 
but you have a home in Nanawalia, Mississippi. You have a home in uh, Star, Mississippi, Brookhaven, Mississippi, Waynesboro, Mississippi, and down in Wiggins, Mississippi. This is where all of your homes are. You have two camp, two, at least two cottages on each one of those campuses, one for boys, one for girls. This church has gotten involved with our Wiggins campus down there, did some painting that I reported, had to report back to the state because they had just examined that cottage and pointed out that that hall needs painting. And this church is the one that went in there and painted that. And so I'm writing back to the state, ah, we painted that, we've got friends in Wiggins. It's because of you. That's where you are. Uh, boys live in one cottage, girls live in another cottage. The, the kids attend public schools. They attend the local, public, uh, a local Baptist church. They are in the band, they're on the football team. They do all of those things. It is the mission of the Baptist Children's Village to reunite children with their families, to put them back together, because the first ordained institution on this planet was the family. It was not the children's home. It was the family. So we want to build that family and put them back together. If we can't do it, if mom and dad split, if they can't ever go back like my family, we'll raise those children, we'll educate those children, and if they are desirous, we'll send them to college. All because of you and God's call on your life. The house parents, I can't close without talking about the true missionaries of the Baptist Children's Village. These are the people who live in the cottage with the children, uh, teach the children their chores, help them with their homework. It's a good thing I can't do that. Uh, I've already told you I flunked two grades. We're not going to go there. Uh, but they cook for them. They help them. They work with them just like you do with your children. They're the true missionaries. If you want the hardest job in the world that you will ever, ever love, Think about being a house parent at the Baptist Children's Village. My buddy David and I, uh, was it last month? Last month? Last month, my buddy David and I, we were here in Hattiesburg, and it was at Temple Baptist Church. We went to our house parent's 90th birthday party and was able to be there with some other village kids who she raised and shared the gospel message of Christ. She, her name's Betty Jackson. Mama J is what we called her. She would share Christ with a wall. She would do that, and we loved her. We have a saying at the Baptist Children's Village, you change one life at the Baptist Children's Village, you'll change generations. If I could leave you with just a couple of thoughts. One, pray for us. Two, you know in this county, in this city, you know where those homes are out there that are always in turmoil, that are always disheveled, you know where they are. And sometimes the need in that house, there may be drug addiction, there may be drug abuse, there may be legal problems, there may be criminal activity, whatever it is. And that need is too big for any family in this church. That need is actually too big for this church itself. But understand this, because of your cooperative effort with all the other Baptists throughout the state of Mississippi, it's not too big for us. We need an invitation. So don't walk on the other side of the road when you see that massive need. Again, remember, we're here to spread the gospel news of Jesus Christ. Introduce yourself. You don't have to take that on yourself. Let them know. Call on us to come down. We'll be happy to tell you how to talk with a mom, how to talk with a dad, and train, teach them that, hey, a voluntary admission at the Baptist Children's Village, they can be voluntarily removed by the parents' decision. But if they wait too long, the state's going to come in, and then they're dealing with lawyers, judges, guardian ad litems, and they lose control. So let's spread the gospel of Christ. Go get involved in that. 
send them to us. We can't help everybody, and if we can't help them, we'll get them to the people who can help them. We just need the invitation. We need to know where the houses are that need your area. Uh, I no longer ask, where's God? I know that God, I know where he is. Because there were men in my life throughout, even though God said he was the father of the fatherless. Well, God, I have a problem with that because I don't see you. I don't hear you. And it wasn't until I got a little older before I realized, yes, I did. He came in the form of other men who spent time with me, who gave me guidance, who I railed against, who I fussed against, who I pushed against, but they never moved. One family was a visitation family. They became Mimi and Papa to my children. It, they didn't do everything. They couldn't do everything. But men, they did what they could do. They went and painted our cottage. They showed up at Christmas. They just showed up to take us to ball games. And every time, we got to see what a real man looked like. What a real father did for children. So, where's God? I don't ask where God is anymore. Some, I know that God's sitting on the park bench. I know that he's on the kitchen floor in Clavering County, Mississippi. Sometimes I wonder if God asks, where's my people? Because God works through the lives of his people. Because of you, my life was changed. Christ came into my heart. House parents shared the gospel with me when I was nine years old. It wasn't an easy road after that, but I became a believer. God changed my life. I have two children. One lives in Denver, Colorado. She just got her master's degree. She shares her faith with Mormons. Her apartment is now X'd out by the Mormon church because she keeps going up the ladder and they keep barring the other missionaries from going to her door because she shares Christ. My son shares Christ with Muslims and Indians. I'm not here to brag on my children. What I'm here to tell you is what your testimony is. Multiply it by 8,000 times. My buddy David, when he's sitting in the social worker's office and she said, you got to have somebody. And he says, I don't have anybody. But I did grow up at a place called the Baptist Children's Village one time. She picked the phone up and she called and she got Paul Nunnery. If any of y'all remember Paul, he was the executive director when I was a child. He was a, he was a recovering lawyer also. And he was a very impressive man and he was a powerful man. And David said, I could hear Paul's voice on the other end of the line. And this lady said, I got a kid in my office right now. His name's David Rainey. He says he used to live with y'all. And he ain't got nobody. Do you want him? David said, I could hear Paul's voice come across the other end of that line. And he said, well, do I need to come and get him? Or are you going to bring him to me? They brought David, and when David got back, he wasn't going to graduate from high school. He was in the ninth grade. He could barely read. He had been on the streets. They had just passed him through. He wasn't going to graduate from high school. So they're coming up with a different plan for David. But the summer after he came back to your Baptist Children's Village, David got saved. You had a home in New Albany, Mississippi. I actually graduated from high school in New Albany because I lived in that home. I moved up there, and I called, and I said, David, you need to come to New Albany. It's a different place up here. And David moved up, and we're walking in downtown New Albany, and I introduced David to some kids that were his age. He's about two years behind me. On our way home, David looked at me, and he said, See, that's the prettiest girl I've ever seen in my life. 
I said, David, that girl's daddy owns that bank right there. You better let that girl alone. <laughs> David looked me dead in the eye, and he said, Saint, I'm going to marry that girl. I said, David, don't get us in trouble up here, man. <laughs> this past June, David and Martha celebrated 28 years of marriage. The boy that wasn't going to graduate from high school did graduate from W.P. Daniel High School as Mr. W.P. Daniel High School. He graduated from Blue Mountain College the same year his oldest son graduated from high school. And the guy that wasn't going to graduate high school serves as the chairman of the Board of Education for the city of New Albany right now. Church. This is what God can do through his people. This is why this ministry belongs to you. You may be here today and you've wondered, where is God? Does God exist? You may be here today and you're a young person and maybe you're in the foster care system and you're wondering, why me, why me, why me? I want you to know I've asked every one of those questions. I've lashed out everything in the world. Understand this, the people in this church and the people around you are presenting the love of Christ. Pay attention. Don't go so far off the deep end like I did that you got miles to come back. You may be here and you say, Cena, you don't know my problem though, and I don't. It may be a nightmare compared to mine, but I know the one who can fix it. I know you may need forgiveness. I know you may need different things. I promise you, God can fulfill the need. I want to turn it back over to Pastor Scott. Thank y'all so much. Thank you for having me here and what you do for the children in the state of Mississippi.